Um, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 19, and that's on page 4 of the Pew Editions of the Bible. This is the account of the heavens and the earth and when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pison. It winds through the entire land of Hevela, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Evening, everyone. If you were in my uh, second year uh, homiletics class, preaching class, uh, we look at different types of sermon. And uh, the normal type of sermon that, that's preached uh, pretty much every Sunday in this church by everyone who, who preaches is where we take a single passage of Scripture and work our way through it. But one of the different types of sermon that uh, we explore in the second year class is uh, sometimes called a pragmatic sermon or a topical sermon. And it's a sermon that uh, starts with a question or questions that people are asking. Not from Scripture to where people are, but what are the questions that we bring to Scripture to look for answers? And so, quite often, there are sermons that are not based on one part of Scripture, but maybe focused on one but moving out through other parts. And that's what we've got tonight. While uh, we had a reading from Genesis, and I'll be focusing much of my thinking on Genesis, I will be moving around through other parts. Um, most of them I, I'll put up on the screen. Uh, some of them you may want to, to check in the, in the Bible with you. And if you want the uh, Bible in the pew with you, uh, and if you want some of the references afterwards, I'll be very happy to, to give them to you. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. 
Father, as we come to, to think together this evening, we pray for the ability that only Your Spirit can give, the ability to see into Your Word and to understand what You have to say and to see how it applies to our lives. So, gracious God, by Your Spirit, come upon us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the, uh, whoops, what's the question I, I want to bring? You know, saying that that's the, the title uh, for this week, but I want to, to approach that title from a slightly different direction and ask that question. Why does God give us commands or rules? Now, rules isn't quite the right word. It's, it's close. It's close enough to do. Why does God give us rules? We're going to look at that in general, and then we're going to look at the rule that He gave to Adam and Eve in particular. So, why does God give us rules in general, and then why this particular rule? And you see, the, the reason I want to, to approach this as a question is because if you look at the rule that God gave to Adam and Eve, it seems a bit daft, doesn't it? Now, when you think about it, you've got this tree, and eating of the fruit of the tree will allow the man and the woman to discern between good and evil. That would seem a pretty good thing to have, would it not? It just seems sensible that we should be able to discern between good and evil. And yet God said, don't, don't touch it. And the punishment for touching it, or eating from it, sorry, the punishment for eating from it, is death. It just, just doesn't sound quite right. And maybe we're, we're so familiar with it that we don't notice how odd it sounds. So why does God give us rules? And especially some rules that either we today, or certainly the society in which we live, look at and say, nah. No, that, that's, that's odd. Okay, let's, let's see. There's the first one. And I'm guessing that's probably the one that, w that you would have, have thought of most clearly and most obviously. And we've got a nice example. I'll be turning to uh, Exodus 20, to the Ten Commandments, a few times. And that's a very obvious example. Sometimes God gives us rules to stop us doing bad things. And something like that, to stop us stealing. Well, I mean, it's, it's very obvious that's a, that stealing is a bad thing. I, I, heard, I heard someone one preaching on um, Exodus a, a few weeks ago, and he, he said, uh, well, nah. Think about it like this. If, if you're stealing something, if you're taking something for yourself, that's pretty good. No. <laughs> Why would you want to outlaw that? If you take it, it's, it's fine. But of course, when you turn it the other way around, if you're the one from whom something is stolen, well, then there's every good reason to outlaw something like that. So, when we think of bad things, some of God's rules are quite clearly there to stop me doing bad things against you or anyone doing bad things against someone else. Straightforward? 
I don't think it's terribly complicated. It's the sort of thing that we would want in any society, isn't it? To stop people doing bad things, <coughs> pardon me, against, uh, against anyone else. Shall we have a quick pause for a minute? Anybody got any other examples of biblical rules where God says to us, don't do that, it's hurtful to other people? Anyone just, just quickly? You shall not kill. Anymore? You shall not bear false witness. Yep, we could run our way through the rest of the commandments, couldn't we? Well, let me just take you outside the commandments. Come on, anybody give me another rule that God gives us to stop hurting other people? Interesting, isn't it? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The fact that we're having to think about it is interesting, isn't it? Because we tend, people from outside the church tend to look at the church and say they're bound by rules and rules. It's all about rules. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's not actually true. Yes, God does say, and if you want something to uh, while away the hours tonight before you go to bed, Look through Scripture, and you'll find that there are others where God says, don't do this. And they are regularly, don't do this because it hurts other people. Well, here's a second reason why God tells us not to do some things. He tells us, don't do that. Because walking along that line, walking in that direction, doing that thing, will lead you into a bad place for yourself. Now, you can't see it at the minute. But let me warn you, if you head in that direction, it's not going to turn out well. Let me give you a couple of examples of, of that. Again, let, let's, let's go into the, the commandments. The Sabbath day. What's, what's that all about? Well, it's simply about what it means to be human. And some of you may well have experienced this. Have you ever worked in a job where you've just had to keep going day after day after day after day without a break? You'll know how destructive that is. It's destructive to me if, as the one who's working. It'll be destructive to my family. Ultimately, it'll be destructive to my work. I'll just not do it well enough. So God has built into us patterns of work and rest. And he says, stick to those patterns. Otherwise, you'll hurt yourself. Here's another example from the Old Testament. The people are moving into the land, or he's prophesying them moving into the land, and here's what you're supposed to do when you go into the land. Don't intermarry with the people of the land. We well, see, it, tactically, in one sense, that's not very good because one of the ways of integrating people who are coming into a community is by intermarriage. Families join together. They get to know each other better. And so it's actually quite a good tactic to intermarry with people, or with the people of the land, especially if you're in a position of power and they can be integrated into your families in some way or other. So tactically it might have been good. But read on after that. 
and you'll see why it isn't going to be good for them. It's going to be destructive. Because as they intermarry, so the gods of the people of the land will be brought into their homes. So they will hear the stories of Baal and Ashtaroth and the other gods. And so they learn that there are other ways of looking at the world. And that's going to be destructive. So what seems like a good idea actually turns out to be destructive. And there's a logic to that as well in, in the ordinariness of, of everyday life. It's just a, a couple of examples. Many things that we get will have instructions on them, or a, a bottle will have a list of contents. I'm, I'm sometimes quite amazed at the instructions that you find on a, a box of cornflakes, for example. Who needs instructions <laughs> need a box of cornflakes? It seems pretty simple to me. But for other things, here is, say, a medicine. Here's the dosage to use. For drain cleaner, here's how you put it down the drain. Don't get the two bottles mixed up or it's going to be disastrous. So, God gives us rules, first, to stop us doing bad things to other people. Second, to stop us wandering into bad things. But third, God gives us rules to teach us how to live by faith. Now, this is related to what I've just been talking about. As the people move into the land, if they intermarry, the gods of the people of the land become familiar to them. They become attractive, not least because of some of the rituals that were associated with worshiping those god, gods. Um, uh, sexual orgies, for example, were, were associated with, with some of the gods and sex, sexual rituals. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything on, in heaven above or on earth beneath or on the waters below, but Lord, it would make so much sense to do that. If they have a little statue of Baal, we'll make a big statue of you just to show how fantastic you are. And that'll work really well. That seems to work for them. We'll just do it better than them. And God says, no, no, no. As soon as you start to do that, you're moving away from living by faith. I've told you, I will lead you. I've told you, I will protect you. You don't need any of these things. If you listen to the people of the land, it will allow you to drift take you away from me, because you will stop living by faith. My contemporary example is, is one that we could talk about for a long, long time, because you know the debates that are going on now about human sexuality. Not only about homosexuality, but about the very nature of gender and what it is to be human. And I, I chose that graphic for a reason. Because the whole debate has been framed around equality. So, um, you, you now have the quest for equal marriage. No longer talking about gay marriage, but about equal marriage. And equality sounds such a good thing, doesn't it? It just sounds right that we should be equal. But the whole nature of the discourse is, I, I would suggest to you anyway... It's 
It's just based on a whole set of wrong premises. But the discourse is so loud and so popular in the media and everyone buys into it that it just sounds, yeah. But our God has called us to live by faith. By faith in Him and by faith in what He has told us in Scripture, how human beings really are constructed, what it means to be male and female, how we are to live. And He calls us to live by faith. So when He gives us a rule that says, this is how you're to live as husband and wife. In this context, folks, it's a call to live by faith. I don't understand. But if you say so, Lord, I'll do it. There's another step. Another reason why, why God calls us, sorry, why God gives us rules. You see, if we simply stopped at the last one, then God will be giving us rules and saying, you just obey these rules and everything will be okay. But that's not how the rest of Scripture um, uh, presents God. And that's not what, how we are as human beings. Scripture presents to us a picture of human beings as those who are to develop wisdom. And the rules that God gives to us are not the final word because we are to develop wisdom in our thinking. So, for example, in Psalm 119, look at what the two things that he has together in those Psalms. Do you see? Interesting, isn't it? Your commands are always with me. Now, stop there, and that's somebody saying, well, you always tell me what to do. So, hey-ho, life's easy. But no, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. And this is absolutely crucial because there are many things that God has not told us about directly in Scripture. Let me give you the first example. Very hard to find in Scripture where God tells us how to drive. It wasn't a big issue, I have to say in biblical times. Yet, there are principles that will guide our driving. Well, let me, let me take the metaphor on a bit farther. How did you learn to drive? If you drive, how did you learn to drive? Did you sit in the car seat and pray, Lord, enable me to drive? <laughs> and the Lord gave you wisdom and you drove. Some of you drive like that was how it didn't work. No. <laughs> you, you, did, you sat beside uh, an instructor who said, this is what you do. This is the way in which you move your feet. This is how you move the wheel. You move it that much, you move it that much, and so on and so on. And you were given instructions. You were given rules. You were told how to do it. But how do you drive now? Yeah. You don't do it like that anymore. You just do it naturally, don't you? It just happens without thinking. So the rules lead to wisdom. Here's another example. You guys at the front who are here, when you were learning to play your instrument, you learned. But now you play instinctively. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. 
Oh, please nod. Yeah, good. You play, yeah. <laughs> you play instinctively. And even reading music, for those who read music well, you're not sort of looking to G, B, it's got to be. No, it, it, it flows. It's natural. But you started with rules. You started at a, learning that a dot on this line means that, and when it's got a tail, it means that, and when it's got a, a flick on the tail, there must be a technical term for that, it means something else. And then my favorite example is that um, it, it's broccoli. <laughs> do you like broccoli? Yeah, I see a lot of people do it. Do. We had a very simple rule in our house that I think I've told you about before when, when we were growing up, when we were growing up, when, when the girls were growing up. And when they were small uh, and we'd put something on their plate and they would say, I don't like that. Or, Daddy, I don't like that. The response was, that's okay, sweetheart. You don't have to like it. That's okay. <laughs> See where I'm going? Yeah, you just have to eat it. That's no, you just, nothing, nothing to do with liking it. <laughs> the rule was, you don't have to like it. You just have to eat it. <laughs> so Naomi and I were in the supermarket the other day. Dad, we'll have broccoli. We had broccoli last. Oh, come on, Dad, I love broccoli. <laughs> Started with a rule, but became a desire. Isn't that interesting? Started with a rule, not just became an instinctive action, but became a desire. So why does God give us rules? A whole host of reasons. Then just in passing, God gives us rules to, now I couldn't think of a better word. If you can think of a better word, better way of phrasing this, give me a shout afterwards. God promises his blessing to those who keep his commandments. And again from Exodus 20, just a couple of examples. Do you see showing love to the thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments? And then uh, at the end of the commandments, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Some of God's blessings are tied to obedience. Or can I put that the other way, uh, the other way around? If we are disobedient, we're stepping up to the door, we're locking it and saying, God, you stay out there. And so he will not give us his blessing because our disobedience, if you like, keeps it away from us. Well, why did God give this rule in particular? Why this rule about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What was that about? Well, I, I want to suggest to you that each of the, the, the reasons that I've already given to you applies it's a means by which God blesses the people, not tying them down, not keeping something from them that's good, but it's a means by which He will stop them hurting other people, hurting themselves. This command was a, a, an invitation to live by faith, to develop wisdom, and to know His blessing. Let me tease that out just for a couple of minutes before we finish. Well, what's wrong with knowing good and evil? What's the problem with it? Let's see if we can, can think of a couple of things. 
This is just a, a little quotation I found when, when I was doing the background reading for this. It's the, the reason, it's all concerned with divine and unfettered ability to master one's own destiny. It was the man and the woman saying, I want that quality that will allow me to master my own destiny. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, you remember those words? Particularly associated with, with Nelson Mandela, although much, much older than that. But the sad truth, the awful reality, is that left to ourselves, we have this unerring habit of messing it all up. And even eating of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when we look at it a little bit more, we see how regularly we mess it up. Knowledge is not an ultimate good. It's not the end of the line. It's not the thing that puts us at the top of the tree. Again, can I give you a couple of examples of that? That, that I think will make it, make it perfectly clear. In the ninth century or thereabouts, about 1,100 years ago, 1,200 years ago in China, somebody discovered that if you mix these few things together, then you get a big explosion. And that was great news if you owned a quarry. It was even better news if you were a slave in the quarry. But of course, it wasn't long before someone saw the potential of gunpowder, the potential to make explosions. Mm. And then other things were developed, uh, dynamite and TNT and, and high explosives of various sorts. And we could make bigger and bigger explosions. And if only it had meant that we became much more efficient at quarrying, then that would have been fantastic. But you know as well as I do, it just didn't work out like that. Knowledge brought evil. Do I need to say any more? I'm sure I could ask Neela or any of the other doctors here about the, the valuable things that, uh, that not only um, the derivatives from, from the opium poppy, but, but all sorts of other plants can bring to medicine. But is that how we hear about them today? Really? Knowledge, understanding. Oh, we've just messed it up so very, very badly. And then it's been in the news recently. Uh, the, the amount of plastic waste. Plastic, it's a great thing. It's a fantastic. Until you throw it in the sea and a whale at one end, or a little fish at the other end eats it and chokes, and then it isn't quite so good. Now, we could multiply examples time after time, couldn't we? And should I stop again and ask for more? No, 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 discipline, discipline. You see, knowledge in the hands of human beings is not an ultimate good because we so regularly turn it to ill uses. That's worth remembering that sometimes knowledge can, can make life more difficult. Um, I'm not saying that knowledge is, is bad in this sense. 
All that I'm saying is that sometimes when you know stuff, life can become, well, you have more difficult decisions to make. Yep. The increase in medical knowledge, which has just gone way, 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 way to places that even a generation ago we would never have thought of. But now we have to make decisions that were never thought of before. I go back, uh, goodness, it's almost 30 years, to sitting with the doctor in the city as my father was coming to the end of his life and discussing with the doctor what we would do. And I'm saying, yeah, we can keep your father alive, you know, for, for quite a while. Should we? Generation ago, there wasn't even a decision to make. So a generation before that. And now, ever more complex decisions that we have to make. And again, we have to say that being human, we tend to mess those decisions up too often. Now, perhaps this, I, I don't want to go too far on this. I'm not saying we always mess them up, by no means. But isn't it so much easier to make a decision that makes life easier for me? Anything pop to mind? Did you ever get to know something and think, oh, I wish I'd never been told that? Or did you ever see an image and think, oh, I wish I'd never seen that? That ever happened? Yeah, it certainly has happened to me, and I can imagine, again, if I gave you a while to think about it, you, you could come up with, with something for yourselves. Now, I wondered what sort of image I should use for this, and I had a few, but I thought, well, I'll just fall into the problem, into the trouble, won't I, and, and, and maybe it'll be deeply disturbing for someone. So I thought I'd go for an easy one, a, a lighter one, just to, to make the point. What's that? Can you tell me what it is? Sorry? Kotuk, that's right. Or is it? Is it? It's the evil octopus. <laughs> or to put it another way, it's a drunk octopus looking for a fight. <laughs> you see it? <laughs> you see it? <laughs> Some of you are going, what? No, you see it? Looking for a fight. Drunk octopus looking for a fight. Now, every time you see a coat hook like that, you're going to think of a drunk octopus looking for a fight. Or at least as long as I leave it up there, even if I talk about coat hooks for the next half hour, you'll still be tempted to think, drunk octopus looking for a fight. Once you see it, it gets implanted in your mind, and you can't get rid of it. Knowledge, always good. Not necessarily. And then this one, and we're, we're almost finished. Knowledge and love are too close for comfort. I gave you the positive example uh, a few minutes ago. As the rule said, eat the broccoli, gradually the desire grew to eat the broccoli. The same is true with evil. And if we've been focusing on the knowledge 
of good things that can have evil consequences or unfortunate consequences. What about that knowledge of evil? Because knowledge and love are just too close for comfort. And knowledge can so very, very often lead on to love. Desire. And I don't, I'm not using desire in a particularly sexual way there. It's, it's, It's not meant to imply that. But desire for anything springs out of knowledge. And some knowledge has dreadful consequences. And this is where I want to to finish. I'm not going into the expulsion of the the, uh, man and the woman from from the garden. That'll that'll come in chapter 3. But you know it's there, don't you? And if the original pair had obeyed the command and lived according to God's laws, they would have been saved so much pain and would have developed a wisdom that would have allowed them to flourish in unimaginable ways. Breaking God's law simply led to death. And that's the pattern that was not just set up way, way, way back. That's the pattern for life now that I hope has been emerging for you. God gives us His laws. He says, obey these laws, and that will lead you to great things. Disobey these laws, and that will lead you to terrible things. It's inevitable. It's universal. It's simply unavoidable. Because that's what we are as fallen human beings. Yet, Later, someone reversed that, didn't they? Someone linked together knowledge, but not this time with death. Knowledge, not of good and evil, that leads to death, but knowledge that leads to eternal life. The knowledge of the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom God sent. And that is the good news. Funny how something that we've been speaking about for 20 minutes or so, knowledge leads to death, if handled in ways that God has not built into us. But there is a knowledge that leads to life, and it's knowledge of Jesus knowledge of God Himself that enables us to embrace all other types of knowledge, enables us to deal with all the stuff that we just can't deal with in any other way. And the heart of the gospel is that this is true because of a death. Yeah? Because of the death that reversed death, the death that conquered death. And knowing the one who died is to know life. And that's what we'll be celebrating in just a few minutes' time.
Shall we pray together? Lord our God, we thank you for how you have created us. And even though our forefathers made such an awful mess and we have been living with the consequences of that mess, you didn't give up on us. As their thirst for knowledge without you led to destruction, so may our thirst for you lead to deeper knowledge of you and of life in all of its fullness. So, Holy Father, enable us to so follow your word, your commands, that we might be obedient and stay away from things that harm others and harm ourselves. That we might develop ways of living that lead to desires that in themselves lead to fulfillment because they are desires that you put in our hearts, longings that only you can satisfy. Thank you, gracious Lord.